0: I can't think of a better passage either to prepare our hearts for what we are embarking upon this week than Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Every person in the world, I suppose, if given the opportunity, is prone to take the clear teaching of God's Word and turn it into an external form of rules-keeping. Even those who disdain Christianity look at the standards of conduct within the church and presume that it is simply a list of do's and don'ts. How many people have you talk to outside of Christianity who assume that Christianity is simply a a list of do's and don'ts, of rights and wrongs. And if you do the rights and if you stay away from the wrongs, you're a Christian. Well, that is so very, very common. If you obey the list of do's, you're in the favor of God. If you stay away from the don'ts, then surely God accepts you. But if you do the don'ts and don't do the do's, then God won't accept you. And this is the classic case of what we might be able to call externalizing religion, externalizing religion, simply having that which is outside of us, the do's and don'ts, in such a way that we assume, as others assume when they look at us, that all is well, when really the issue of Christianity is always the issue of the heart. So many of us are tempted to think that as long as I'm performing my duties on the outside, then everything must be going okay on the inside. As long as I keep the recognized traditions of the church on the outside, then certainly God is pleased with me on the inside. And it is to this very, very common thinking that Jesus himself dealt with the religious crowd of his own day Here in Mark chapter seven, beginning in verse fourteen, you follow along as I read. After he called the crowd to him again, he began began saying to them, "Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the thing which, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Anyone has ears to hear, let him hear." When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You remember last week, we spoke about the nature of tradition, specifically how tradition tends to externalize religion, only emphasizing that which is on the outside. It really turns Christianity upside down, bypassing the real matters of the heart and replacing the clear teaching of God's Word with the commandments of men. And I mentioned to you last Lord's Day that the scribes and the Pharisees had really done this to an art form. They had taken their own tradition, the tradition of washing their hands before a meal, and among other things, they began to make it a focal point of God's acceptance of them, of a person who was attempting to be holy. And they had really, because of these Externalizings of religion, they had really left the heart matter out of the process. and The heart was no longer the focal point of their acceptance before God. It was either traditionalism on the one hand or hypocrisy on the other. And Jesus castigated them many, many times for this. He would say to them, you are involved in the externals of religion, but you don't have the heart of the matter. Or he would say, you do appear to be doing those things on the outside, but inside, you're really not doing them at all, not from the heart at least. As I thought about that this week, I was reminded of the times that my family and I are engaged in family worship, and we have been talking about Pilgrim, of Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, allegory of the Christian life. And you know that Pilgrim, or Christian as he's also known, is a man who is on a journey. He's on a journey in the Christian life, and of course all of the things that befall him in the Christian life are described in this allegory. And as I was thinking about traditionalism, formalism, and hypocrisy, and what Jesus does to teach us these things, I thought of one of the points on Pilgrim's journey that he talks about that is so very applicable. He begins to say this just after beginning on the narrow way, that is, beginning on Christianity's path. And he meets up with two fellows. He says, "...he spied two men come tumbling over the wall on the left side of the narrow way. In other words, they were coming into Christianity in a false way. They didn't want to come on the narrow path. They were actually trying to go in another way. They hurried to catch up to Christian. The name of one was Formalist or Traditionalist, and the name of the other, Hypocrisy. So as I said, they drew up to him, and he entered into conversation with them. Christian said, Gentlemen, where do you come from and where are you going? Traditionalist and hypocrisy said, We were born in the land of vainglory, and are going to Mount Zion for the purpose of doing a praiseworthy thing. In other words, they were on the way to, to do some religious activity. Christians said, Why didn't you bother to enter at the gate which stands at the beginning of the way? Don't you know that it is written that he who does not come in by the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber? Traditionalist and hypocrisy said, To go to the gate for entrance is considered too far by all our countrymen. Therefore, the usual way is to take a shortcut and climb over the wall as we have done. But won't it be considered a trespass against the Lord of the city where we are going to thus Violate his revealed will? Formalist and hypocrisy said, As for that, don't trouble yourself about it, for what we did is according to tradition. And we can produce, if need be, testimony that would attest that it has been so for more than a thousand years. Christian said, But will your practice hold up in a court of law? That custom, being of so long a standing over a thousand years, would doubtless now be admitted as legal by an impartial judge. And besides, if we get into the way, why does it matter which way we get in? If we are in, we are in. You came in at the gate, and we came tumbling over the wall. In what way is your condition better than ours? Christian said, I walk by the rule of the master. You walk by the ignorant working of your own imagination. You are considered thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore I doubt that you will be found true men at the end of the way. You come in by yourselves without his direction and shall go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they had little to say, only to tell him to mind his own business. And then I saw that they went on, each in his own way, without much conversation between them, except that these two men told Christian that as far as laws and ordinances were concerned, They thought they should abide by them as conscientiously as he. Therefore, they didn't see how he was any different from them, except for the coat on his back, which was, they thought, given to him by some of his neighbors to hide the shame of his nakedness. Christian said, You will not be saved by laws and ordinances or tradition, since you did not come in by the door. And as for this coat on my back, it was given me by the Lord of the place where I am going. And that, as you say, to cover my nakedness. And I take it as a token of his kindness to me, for I had nothing but rags before. And besides, I comfort myself with this thought as I travel. Surely, I think, when I come to the gate of the city, the Lord will know me since I have his coat on my back, a coat he gave me freely in the day that he stripped me of my rags. He goes on to talk about their continuing journey together as they walked. And at one particular point it says, They all went on till they came to the foot of the hill Difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring. There were also in the same place two other paths besides that which came straight from the gate. One turned to the left and the other to the right at the bottom of the hill. But the narrow path went right up the hill and it was called Difficulty. The other two, they came to the foot of the hill. But when they saw that the hill was steep and that there were two other ways to go, and figuring that on the other side of the hill these two paths would meet up with the one Christian had taken, they decided to take those paths. Now, the name of one of those ways was danger, and the name of the other was destruction. So the one took the way called danger, which led him into a great wood, and the other took the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark mountains. Where he stumbled and fell and rose no more. You can see from the analogy of the Christian life what's occurring. Christian is taking the the narrow road through the prescribed narrow gate. And even though the way is called difficulty, this hill in which he's trotting, he's buoyed up by the mercy of the Lord of the city to which he's travelling. And the other two, traditionalist and hypocrisy, they're cutting corners. They're compromising. They tumbled over the wall, not going through the narrow gate, and now they're taking a road to the left and a road to the right because they think that less difficulty will befall them. And what they're doing is they are setting up their own rules, aren't they? That's what tradition does sets up its own rules. That's what hypocrisy does. It says, oh, I will go this route, but never really makes it. When I thought about that story in Pilgrim's Progress, I thought about the crowd here in Mark 7. I thought about those Pharisees and scribes. They are, at least in Jesus' day, traditionalist and hypocrisy. In fact, Jesus even calls them hypocrites, doesn't he? And he says, what you have done is that you've taken the clear teaching of God's Word and you've turned it completely around. You've turned it upside down. You emphasize that what's on the outside is the issue. Whether or not a man washes his hands before he eats or whether or not he stays away from certain foods, that's what, for you, marks entrance into the narrow way. And that's how you evaluate everyone around you. But Jesus said Christianity is not a matter of what is on the outside per se. What is the real issue is what is on the inside because what is on the inside will always overflow into the outside. You can't always tell by what somebody's doing on the outside what's really going on on the inside. and That's not the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is what's in the heart. In fact, Bunyan says about christian as he thought to himself when he was going down that narrow path he said come pluck up heart let's neither faint nor fear better though difficult the right way to go than wrong though easy where the end is woe in other words it's a it's a difficult way that narrow path but i'd better go that way and i'd better say no to all of the tradition and the hypocrisy around me, though friends may they appear to be, I need to go right down that narrow path so that even though difficult, it's the best way to go. This is precisely the point of the passage before us. Jesus wants to bring us one point, and here it is, verse 15. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. He says for a second time, verse 18, Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Verse 20, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. And if we didn't learn the lesson, Verse 23, All these evil things proceed from within, And defile the man. I guess Jesus needed to emphasize it three times because we don't always hear the message. Apparently, the crowd of his own day didn't understand, and so he said three times it's not what is on the outside that's the most important, it's what's on the inside. And of course, he's primarily referring to the Pharisees and the scribes themselves, but he's also teaching the crowd. In fact, Jesus' words were so penetrating, so devastating to the scribes and Pharisees that in Matthew chapter 15, in the parallel account in verse 12, the Pharisees and scribes were offended when they heard Jesus utter this statement. They were offended by him. And Jesus responded in Matthew's text and he said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. In other words, they're false. My Heavenly Father didn't plant them, and so ultimately they'll be uprooted. Just like traditionalist and hypocrisy, they went on the road to the left and the road on the right, and ultimately uh, they may attempt to go back on the narrow way, but the Lord of the city will not let them go. He'll uproot them. He'll cast them out. Jesus said they are blind guides of the blind. Let them alone. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. You know, it's really very simple, this text before us this morning. Taking off on both the ceremonial washings but also on the dietary laws of the Jews, Jesus was declaring that uncleanness, defilement, doesn't automatically arise from food which goes into the body, thus defiling the person, but the person themselves, the heart, is already defiled. He was therefore revolutionizing the entire issue on defilement. And might we understand that by this teaching, the whole Jewish thinking process of food is turned on its ear? I mean, just think of it. All their lives, they were fastidious One, because they wanted to be accepted by God, and two, because they had the religious leaders giving them more burdens on top of the ones they already had because they said, now listen, every time before you eat, you must wash your hands, and if you don't, then you're ceremonially unclean, you're defiled, and you won't be accepted by God. That's a lot like people today who presume that every day they're either in or out of the kingdom. Every day they think, well, if I do this, if I perform these deeds, I must be doing well and I'm in. And then a day comes when things aren't going particularly well and they say, God must not be accepting me, I must be out. These Jews were so overburdened by the religious leaders, they put a yoke on them that even they, the religious leaders themselves, were not willing to bear. Jesus knows this, and he knows that he must go right to the heart of the matter Because think of the crowd, much less the religious leaders themselves. Think of the crowd and the burden that they're under. He says, men, women, I want you to know. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what's already there. It's what's already there in his heart. A man is clean or defiled according as his heart is clean or defiled. He's going right to the religious leader's approach to God's law. They were concerned about surface purity. He's concerned about internal purity. They're concerned about their hands being clean. He's concerned about their hearts being clean. He's not saying that hand washing and food selection was and is unimportant. He's saying that you can't expect to be acceptable to God based on clean hands and your diet. And boy, that's that's really something that we ought to understand today. Because there are many, many people who say, listen, if you really want to be a part of the in crowd, if you really want to know what's right and wrong, stay away from this, touch this, eat this, stay away from that. Rules, regulations, rituals. The only way, Jesus said, you can be acceptable to God is to allow God to deal with your heart because that's the ultimate seed of purity before God. And he really explains that clearly when he says, after going into the house and beginning the process of teaching the disciples themselves, notice what he says in verse 19. In the end of verse 18 he says, Do not you understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him, because it whatever that is, whatever food that he's referring to, it does not go into his heart or his soul. The soul or the heart in Jewish thinking was their process of thought and analyzing. He says this issue of food, it doesn't go into his heart, it doesn't go into his soul, but into his stomach and is eliminated goes into the latrine he's really saying that listen food is for the body food is just something that you do it's just a biological process it's it's not something inherently spiritual or moral or ethical it's just a process whereby we receive nourishment there was even a, a saying at this time food for the body and the body for food it's just a biological process Jesus is saying, listen, you eat food because you want to gain nourishment, and that's good, but notice this, food's not going to do anything for you spiritually. It's not going to connote anything for you in terms of your moral upstanding behavior. It's not going to do anything for you ethically. It just goes into the stomach, is eliminated, and that's it. It's gone. It served its purpose. You were nourished, and that was it. You continue living, growing, becoming stronger. That's it. That's all it is. In Mark's little parenthetical phrase there, thus he declared all foods clean. This is incredible teaching. Jesus, by his own authority, is saying, folks, I declare to you now, all Jews, that the issue of food and your intake of it and your diet and the selection of the food and what you stay away from, it's over. It's over. It's Done. Why? Why did he say that? How could he say that? Because he, Christ, the reality, the fulfillment of the very thing he's talking about, the one who is the spiritual fulfillment of all food, he's come. It's over. It's done. All foods are now clean. He's the fulfillment of the spiritual nourishment that any, anybody needs. And now, the purpose for food itself is strictly biological. It's now a matter of one's spiritual standing before God and food in and of itself. Like the Jews of the Old Testament, even then it was only for their opportunity to see their separateness, but what they'd done is they'd taken that and they'd so externalized their religion, they began to say, if you don't do it the way we do it, then you're not accepted before God. Jesus was saying, the issue is not the food, the issue is your heart. And if you were to stop there, we would probably misunderstand the importance of his words. But he says, not only is food not the issue, but the heart is the issue. And he says, verse 20, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. And what is it, Jesus, that proceeds out of the man? What's inside already? Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, Precede the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. You know that's really a an explanation of Jeremiah seventeen nine, isn't it? Jeremiah seventeen nine says the heart is what deceitful and desperately wicked Jesus is only reiterating what Jeremiah the prophet said it's not the stuff out there it's not the food, it's not the stuff that you open your mouth and put inside that's not the issue it's not the fact that you wash your hands before every meal that makes you acceptable before God, it's is your heart right do you love and serve God do you want to do what is right from the heart And so Jesus declares all foods clean. The issue, Jesus says, I have come, and I'm the fulfillment of every spiritual nourishment that you ever needed. I'm here now. And I might say, parenthetically as well, when we talk about traditions, even in the church, in the church community, we have to be very careful ourselves that we don't speak of things like food as though that's a part of our being right with God. As though, maybe not our salvation, but as Christians we say our sanctification is dependent on what we eat or what we stay away from, what we do and what we don't do with regard to food. We have to be very, very careful with that. I've counseled many Christians who say, but this food is not good for you. You must stay away from that. This food is absolutely best for you. You must eat that, and they sort of put it on the on the plane of sanctification, acceptance with God. If you really want to be a fruitful, mature, thriving Christian, eat this or stay away from that. We have to be very, very careful with that. You say why? Well, because number one, God said to Peter in Acts 10 and 11, with regard to food, what? He said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. It's all clean. I have now declared everything clean. I.e., eat what you please. Just eat it up. You weren't saying before that you could eat those things because they were unholy or unclean. Now I'm telling you everything's clean. Just eat up. And the New Testament says there's one thing you have to watch out for based upon that kind of declaration, and that is don't eat too much. But... We can't come to other Christians and say, don't eat this or eat that. This is best for you. That's not good for you. Stay away from this. If you really want to be the best you can be, even in terms of a health issue, even in terms of a dietary issue, even in terms of an exercise issue, uh, since there aren't any major treatises on that in the New Testament, we have to be real careful. In fact, Paul even said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, I'm telling you, you need to eat everything because everything has been declared by God as clean and everything is acceptable because it's sanctified by the means of the Word of God and prayer. Just eat. Don't worry about it. You know what he's really saying? He's really saying what he says in Romans 14. You know what? Food is not the issue of the Kingdom of God. It's just not the issue. Food and drink, it's not the problem. Same iteration, reiteration of what Jesus is saying. That stuff that's on the outside, the food and the drink, that's the outside stuff. The inside stuff is what matters. And the only time that a Christian ought to be concerned about food is when he's doing it to the detriment of a weaker brother who's not as mature. And then you give up your Christian liberty and you say, it's just a piece of meat, just food. No big deal. I can give, I can give that up. It's not a problem for me because... I want to make sure that my brother is not hurt by my actions because maybe they they just came out of an idolatrous situation as an unbeliever and they saw meat sacrificed to idols or there was some sort of religious observance or practice and now he's in Christ but he can't understand that he has the liberty to do these things and when he stumbles at my actions I just give it up because it's no big deal to me. It's not a problem. So we have to be really careful. On the one hand, if it ever hurts anyone else, we give it up. But... We don't automatically say that all of this food items and drink items and the stuff outside, it's so easy to allow those things to become the main things. and We have to major on the majors and minor on the minors. I heard someone say, and it's so very true, the whole of the Christian life is a struggle to keep the main things the main thing. So true. Because it's so easy for us to take the minor issues, and to make them major issues, and then judge everybody around us on that basis. But remember, that's a slippery slope to formalism or traditionalism and hypocrisy. That's why Paul says in Romans 14, you know what, it's not food or drink, it's righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the inside stuff. That's the stuff that's on the inside. That's the things that ought to occupy our hearts, righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus has the opportunity to tell the crowd of His day like we have the opportunity to tell the crowd of our day, listen, for us, we emphasize the stuff on the inside. You say, well, what's the stuff on the inside? Jesus tells us what they are. Verse 21, For from within out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts. Now folks, this is not a good list. Not a good list at all. And I guess there's a temptation in part on every preacher who says, now, if I exposit this list, am I in danger of emptying the place? But you know what? This is is as much a part of the Word of God as anything else and this is true and this is teaching from Jesus Christ himself and this is what he tells us that we need to know in terms of what the inside stuff is all about. So this is ultimately helpful even though it's hurtful. I'd rather have something that's helpful even if it hurts me. It's like uh, it's like that medicine your mom gave you when you were young and sick. It tasted badly oh but it was so good because you felt better because you had the remedy and Jesus says I want you to know something that the reason why all of the traditionalism and the formalism and the hypocrisy is even there in the first place is because there's some stuff on the inside that needs to be dealt with and here's what he says we have in our hearts in the nature of man evil devisings, evil thoughts And then he gives us 12 of them. Six in the plural, six in the singular. You say, why? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know why it's that way. I don't know why there's six plural and why there's six singular, but Jesus believes this is the list we need to hear. And this is what it is. First of all, fornication. And that's really just a broad term that speaks of any kind of sexual perversion, any kind of sexual sin. He says that... Is what's inside. And then he says thefts, which is just another way of talking about stealing. And then murders, taking someone's life. And then adulteries. You say, how's that different from fornications? Well, that's just a, a word, adulteries, that refers to sexual sin within the marriage bond, without outside your partner. And then deeds of Coveting and wickedness. Coveting, that's an inner craving for more of what you don't have and have no right to have if it is to be gotten by wicked means. That's someone who says, I want what I don't have and I'm willing to perpetrate wicked means to receive it. That's coveting. And then wickedness, which is just sort of a general way of talking about maliciousness maliciousness or evil-mindedness. this is a pretty hideous list, isn't it? But this is exactly where we need to be because this is what Jesus is saying is the true nature of the unregenerate man. This is, this is the real stuff on the inside, all the stuff on the outside, even if it looks really good even if it's emphasizing the washing of your hands before the meal so that you could be holy before God, or this is the stay away from this food so that you can show all the nations around you how holy and separate unto God you really are. That stuff may look good on the outside, but Jesus said, you know what's really going on on the inside? These kinds of things. And then he gives that second six. He says deceit. And I think what he's really doing here, if I could take a stab at why this list is as it is, is the first list is maybe all the stuff that people look when they see the outside and might assume what's on the inside. And then the second list is maybe even going past that stuff into the real recesses of the inner heart. Deceit. That signifies trickery or cunning or guile. It really has the idea of entrapping others for your personal advantage. And then sensuality. That's the Greek word aselgeia, and it's talking about an unrestrained or unbridled, shameless living. It's talking about behavior that is completely lacking in moral restraint. Sort of an, an open display, a defiant display of sensuality, of lewdness. Uh, we sometimes hear of people being arrested uh, for public lewdness. I always think about this word sensuality, when I see on these news reports some gay pride parade where these people are flaunting themselves and their sensuality to the public, doing all kinds of weird things on floats and dances and all kinds of things. And I think, boy, that's just, just an unbridled sensuality. And Jesus said, yes, that's a part of the inner heart of man. That's the stuff on the inside. And then thirdly, he talks about envy, which means jealousy or a grudging attitude towards someone. Your translation may even say an evil eye. That means you're looking at someone with an evil eye because you want what they have. You're envious of them. Fourthly, slander. Blasphemeo. It's someone who speaks injuriously of others either God or man, defamation of character. And then number five, pride, which is a very common word, but interestingly enough, it's only used here in the Greek New Testament. And it's really someone who has a haughtiness and ostentatiousness and arrogance, someone who looks at others with insolent pride, sort of this pride unmitigated, just flaunting Person who might say, Yeah, I, I am proud of who I am and I want everybody else to know it as well. And then foolishness. It's really talking about someone who's senseless, not intellectually, but with regard to God and spiritual things, they say, It's not for me. It's trash. It's nothing. That's why the Bible talks about fools saying in their heart, There is no God. that's, That's not a good list. But that's the kind of list that Jesus himself chose to reveal the true inside of a man. And, if our title is correct, it's what's on the inside that counts. The issue is, how, given the insides like this, could I ever hope to see relief? Well, it's... Only given to us by the cross of Christ. Only the cross could ever deliver us from this hideous list. And you know, it is so bad that verse 23 says, All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man, and those are present tense verbs. They are constantly proceeding and are constantly defiling the man. Boy, it's just never ending. It's like John Calvin said, man's heart is a virtual factory of idols. We just keep pumping it out. Pumping out the idols, pumping out the defilement. It's really reminiscent of of what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. I mean, that's sort of like the religious leaders, and they're washing and washing and washing and washing, and they're washing washing with a feverish pitch. And Jesus all the while is saying, Guys, you could wash until you wash your hands completely off, and you would still have the stain of iniquity inside. As I thought about that this week, I thought, Lord, how could I possibly share this message With the congregation in the way that Jesus obviously intends it to be shared and not have a bummer of a message. And you know the answer to the bummer of the message? Is that if you really resonate with this kind of inner man, you can be cleansed by Jesus Christ Himself. That's why in 1 John 1 7 it says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Did you come to a place in your Christian life where you would say, unlike the religious leaders and some in this crowd, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. And then convicted by the very words of the gospel message or maybe even by the words of Jesus himself right here, yes, yes, it's true. It's true of me. I admit it. I acknowledge it. I am that kind of person. I may not have even done all of those things on the outside, but I know this. That's me on the inside. Well, be of good cheer. King David said in Psalm 51:10, "Create in me a what? A clean heart." Oh, do you want a clean heart this morning? You want to be delivered from this kind of filthiness of the flesh? You want to go from dirty hands and a dirty soul to clean hands and a clean soul come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge to God that you are unworthy to respond in any way. Fall upon His mercy. Say to Him, Lord, I know that this hideous list is true of me. I may not have committed outwardly all of these things, but I know on the inside it's there. It's true. I acknowledge it, And I've been unable to respond to any kind of Relationship to you and others without thinking of these things and in some cases without doing them. Lord, I need you. I must have you. If you do, my friends, you're at a place where God can cleanse the hardest heart, the coldest soul, and He can do so in an instant. I want you to bow your heads with me. And as you bow your heads, this is a time and a message for which we can, all of us, say, Lord, is this me? Is this where I'm coming from? This is, a, this is an examination of my own heart. Lord, I want... To be delivered from these things. I want you to take this heart of mine, such as it is, and replace it with a clean heart. If you pray that kind of prayer, you're praying the right kind of prayer. And what God does with the sincerity of a person who prays that way is to give them a regenerate heart, a new heart, a clean heart fresh heart. If you would be pleading with God in the quietness of your own heart right now, you can know that God has been calling and drawing you, bringing you to Himself. And even though your heart can be cleansed, And even though it's going to be new to you, it's not going to be totally new because you're going to continue on the hill of difficulty. But as you do, for the first time in your life, you will have the resources of the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God for the first time in your life. And you can gain victory by the Spirit's power by the diligent application of the word. Oh, I pray that you would come to Christ. Come to him. And if you do, you give evidence that he in fact has sought you out and he is coming to you. For those of you who are genuine believers You believe that about yourself. You have an assurance that you know Christ. I pray for you that as you, the pilgrim, continue on the narrow way, you can know that the tradition and the hypocrisy and the formalism and the burden of the do's and the don'ts can be lifted from you when you emphasize what's on the inside, it's what's on the inside that counts. All of us are entrapped at times with attempting to live by someone else's standard and not by the standard of the Word of God. And we become embroiled in controversy and tension and relational difficulties because we're doing everything we can at a frenetic pace to comply with everyone else's sanctification standard when really what we need is replacing the traditions of men with the commandments of God may we do so because to begin the Christian life is one thing but to live it in such a way as to be embroiled in controversy based upon standards other than the Word is so self-defeating. I pray for you that you would know the liberty of saying yes or no to anything based upon the standard of God's truth. Father, I pray for believer and unbeliever alike that you would minister to them based on the power of your word. Thank you for giving us this day. May we have a time together tonight in our care groups that continue to chip away at anything other than solid truth of your book. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.